Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. More than 200 fire department jurisdictions trust the Knox entry system to provide secure access to buildings, elevators, and control rooms when seconds matter. Now, businesses, schools, airports, several industrial applications are also using Knox entry to manage controlled access and authorize service activity for critical assets. Now, Knox entry allows you to develop a customized access strategy complete with an audit trail and rapid flexibility. Just go to Knox.com for more information. That's K-N-O-X.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, glad you're with us. We are in Washington, D.C., the swamp, the sewer, and we're glad you're with us as we speak. Judge Kavanaugh and his wife are now walking into the Senate Judiciary Committee room where uh, the judge will be testifying. I think we need to take his entire, uh, his opening statement certainly in its entirety. Here's what we saw this morning. Democrats from the get-go, the minute Anthony Kennedy was out. There was nobody that Donald Trump ever picked to be a Supreme Court justice that was going to be acceptable to them. So we went through an entire morning and Professor Ford gave her testimony and it it pretty much went like this. When the Democrats, when they spoke, we believe everything you said from 36 years ago, we love you. You are a hero. I know you only remembered it six years ago, um, there's zero corroboration to anything she said. A few inconsistencies that we'll highlight throughout the day here today as Judge Kavanaugh now sits down. And, you know, the difference between Judge Kavanaugh, and you watch the difference in treatment now with the Democrats and how aggressive they get. I doubt they're going to spend a lot of time highlighting that there is a witness that was in the room identified by Professor Ford that also corroborated Judge Kavanaugh's story. So we do have a witness here and agrees with Judge Kavanaugh that this never happened. But the bottom line is they've always hated him. They've wanted an excuse. And basically their their proclamation to Professor Ford is, thank you for giving us a reason. We never wanted to vote for this guy anyway even though he denies it all, and even though there's an eyewitness that denies it all, and we hated him from the get-go, and uh, 
anyone that doesn't say you believe we believe you from 36 years ago obviously hates women. That's pretty much the summary. Now, I know a lot of people have been following social media all day are upset and concerned that the Republicans gave up their time and they had a woman asking questions. The most important thing is for people, there was an investigation and it was done by the Senate Judiciary Committee. And the four people that were mentioned by Professor Ford all gave statements to the Senate Judiciary Committee. But we had to wait to the end of the hearing for that to finally be brought up. But that is the that is the only real evidence that we have in this case that Professor Ford identified Mark Judge as being in the room and others as being at the party. The other two didn't remember any such party like this. And Mark Judge says this didn't happen. No way this happened. And so now I know Judge Kavanaugh is going to start with his opening statement. Well, first you're going to hear from from Charles Grassley, and then you're going to hear from Dianne Feinstein. And then after that, then you're going to watch the Democrats, many of whom want to run for president, try to put on a show. That's my prediction. And the difference in treatment and the rush to judgment and the double standard is going to be on full display. With the gracious, now this for the Republicans, well, let's, the swearing in is beginning. Let's go right to that. Confirm that the testimony you're about to give before the committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. I do. Yeah. And like we, uh, like we offered to uh, Senator or to Dr. Ford, uh, you can take whatever time you want now for your opening statement. Then we'll go to questions. So proceed, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Feinstein. Members of the committee, thank you for allowing me to make my statement. I wrote it myself yesterday afternoon and evening. No one has seen a draft or it except for one of my former law clerks. This is my statement. Less than two weeks ago, Dr. Ford publicly accused me of committing wrongdoing at an event more than 36 years ago when we were both in high school. I denied the allegation immediately, categorically, and unequivocally. All four people allegedly at the event, including Dr. Ford's longtime friend, Ms. Kaiser, have said they recall no such event. Her longtime friend, Ms. Kaiser, said under penalty of felony that she does not know me and does not believe she ever saw me at a party ever. Here is the quote from Ms. Kaiser's attorney's letter. Quote, simply put, Ms. Kaiser does not know Mr. Kavanaugh, and she has no recollection of ever being at a party or gathering where he was present with or without Dr. Ford. End quote. Think about that fact. The day after the allegation appeared, I told this committee that I wanted a hearing as soon as possible to clear my name. I demanded a hearing for the very next day. Unfortunately, it took the committee 10 days to get to this hearing. In those 10 long days, as was predictable, and as I predicted, my family and my name 
have been totally and permanently destroyed <coughs> by vicious and false additional accusations. The 10-day delay has been harmful to me and my family, to the Supreme Court, and to the country. When this allegation first arose, I welcomed any kind of investigation, Senate, FBI, or otherwise. The committee now has conducted a thorough investigation, and I've cooperated fully. I know that any kind of investigation, Senate, FBI, Montgomery County Police, whatever, will clear me. Listen to the people I know. Listen to the people who have known me my whole life. Listen to the people I've grown up with and worked with and played with and coached with and dated and taught and gone to games with and had beers with. And listen to the witnesses who allegedly were at this event 36 years ago. Listen to Ms. Kaiser. She does not know me. I was not at the party described by Dr. Ford. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process, but you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Since my nomination in July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything, to block my confirmation. Shortly after I was nominated, the Democratic Senate leader said he would, quote, oppose me with everything he's got. A Democratic senator on this committee publicly referred to me as evil. Evil. Think about that word. And said that those who supported me were, quote, complicit in evil. Another Democratic senator on this committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh is your worst nightmare. A former head of the Democratic National Committee said, quote, Judge Kavanaugh will threaten the lives of millions of Americans for decades to come. I understand the passions of the moment, but I would say to those senators, your words have meaning. Millions of Americans listened carefully to you. Given comments like those, is it any surprise that people have been willing to do anything to make any physical threat against my family, to send any violent email to my wife, to make any kind of allegation against me and against my friends, to blow me up and take me down? You sowed the wind for decades to come. I fear that the whole country will reap the whirlwind. The behavior of several of the Democratic members of this committee at my hearing a few weeks ago was an embarrassment. But at least it was just a good old-fashioned attempt at borking. Those efforts didn't work when I did at least okay enough at the hearings that it looked like I might actually get confirmed, a new tactic was needed. Some of you were lying in wait and had it ready. This first allegation was held in secret for weeks by a Democratic member of this committee and by staff. It would be needed only if you couldn't take me out on the merits.
When it was needed, this allegation was unleashed and publicly deployed over Dr. Ford's wishes. And then, and then, as no doubt was expected, if not planned, came a long series of false last minute smears designed to scare me and drive me out of the process before any hearing occurred. Crazy stuff, gangs, illegitimate children, fights on boats in Rhode Island, all nonsense reported breathlessly and often uncritically by the media. This has destroyed my family and my good name, a good name built up through decades of very hard work and public service at the highest levels of the American government. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. This is a circus. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. The consequences will be with us for decades. This grotesque and coordinated character assassination will dissuade competent and good people of all political persuasions from serving our country. And as we all know, in the United States political system of the early 2000s, what goes around comes around. I am an optimistic guy. I always try to be on the sunrise side of the mountain, to be optimistic about the day that is coming. But today, I have to say that I fear for the future. Last time I was here, I told this committee that a federal judge must be independent, not swayed by public or political pressure. I said I was such a judge, and I am. I will not be intimidated into withdrawing from this process. You've tried hard. You've given it your all. No one can question your effort. But your coordinated and well-funded effort to destroy my good name and destroy my family will not drive me out. The vile threats of violence against my family will not drive me out. You may defeat me in the final vote, but you'll never get me to quit. Never. I'm here today to tell the truth. I've never sexually assaulted anyone, not in high school, not in college, not ever. Sexual assault is horrific. One of my closest friends to this day is a woman who was sexually abused and who in the 1990s, when we were in our 30s, confided in me about the abuse and sought my advice. I was one of the only people she consulted. Allegations of sexual assault must always be taken seriously, always. Those who make allegations always deserve to be heard. At the same time, the person who is the subject of the allegations also deserves to be heard. Due process is a foundation of the American rule of law. 
Due process means listening to both sides. As I told you at my hearing three weeks ago, I'm the only child of Martha and Ed Cavanaugh. They are here today. When I was 10, my mom went to law school, and as a lawyer, she worked hard and overcame barriers, including the workplace sexual harassment that so many women faced at the time and still face today. She became a trailblazer, one of Maryland's earliest women prosecutors and trial judges. She and my dad taught me the importance of equality and respect for all people, and she inspired me to be a lawyer and a judge. Last time I was here, I told you that when my mom was a prosecutor and I was in high school, she used to practice her closing arguments at the dining room table on my dad and me. As I told you, her trademark line was, use your common sense. What rings true? What rings false? Her trademark line is a good reminder as we sit here today, some 36 years after the alleged event occurred, when there is no corroboration and indeed it is refuted by the people allegedly there. After I have been in the public arena for 26 years without even a hint, a whiff, of an allegation like this. And when my nomination to the Supreme Court was just about to be voted on at a time when I'm called evil by a Democratic member of this committee, while Democratic opponents of my nomination say people will die if I am confirmed. This onslaught of last minute allegations does not ring true. I'm not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time. But I have never done this to her or to anyone. That's not who I am. It is not who I was. I am innocent of this charge. I intend no ill will to Dr. Ford and her family. The other night, Ashley and my daughter, Liza, said their prayers. And little Liza, all 10 years old, said to Ashley, we should pray for the woman. It's a lot of wisdom from a 10-year-old. We mean, we mean no ill will. First, let's start with my career. For the last 26 years, since 1992, I've served in many high-profile and sensitive government positions for which the FBI has investigated my background six separate times. Six separate FBI background investigations over 26 years, all of them after the event alleged here. I have been in the public arena and under extreme public scrutiny for decades. In 1992, I worked for the Office of Solicitor General in the Department of Justice. In 1993, I clerked on the Supreme Court for Justice Anthony Kennedy. In 
I spent four years in the independent counsel's office during the 1990s. That office was the subject of enormous scrutiny from the media and the public. During 1998, the year of the impeachment of President Clinton, our office generally and I personally were in the middle of an intense national media and political spotlight. I and other leading members of Ken Starr's office were opposition researched from head to toe, from birth through the present day. Recall all the people who were exposed that year of 1998 as having engaged in some sexual wrongdoing or indiscretions in their past. One person on the left even paid a million dollars for people to report evidence of sexual wrongdoing, and it worked. He exposed some prominent people. Nothing about me. From 2001 to 2006, I worked for President George W. Bush in the White House. As staff secretary, I was by President Bush's side for three years and was entrusted with the nation's most sensitive secrets. I traveled on Air Force One all over the country and the world with President Bush. I went everywhere with him, from Texas to Pakistan, from Alaska to Australia, from Buckingham Palace to the Vatican. Three years in the West Wing, five and a half years in the White House. I was then nominated to be a judge on the D.C. Circuit. I was thoroughly vetted by the White House, the FBI, the American Bar Association, and this committee. I sat before this committee for two thorough confirmation hearings in 2004 and 2006. For the past 12 years leading up to my nomination for this job, I've served in a very public arena as a federal judge on what is often referred to as the second most important court in the country. I've handled some of the most significant and sensitive cases affecting the lives and liberties of the American people. I have been a good judge. And for this nomination, another FBI background investigation, another American Bar Association investigation, 31 hours of hearings, 65 senator meetings, 1,200 written questions, more than all previous Supreme Court nominees combined. Throughout that entire time, throughout my 53 years and seven months on this earth until last week, no one ever accused me of any kind of sexual misconduct. No one ever. A lifetime, a lifetime of public service and a lifetime of high profile public service at the highest levels of American government. And never a hint of anything of this kind. And that's because nothing of this kind ever happened. Second, let's turn to specifics. I categorically and unequivocally de deny the allegation against me by Dr. Ford. I never had any sexual or physical encounter of any kind with Dr. Ford. I never attended a gathering like the one Dr. Ford describes in her allegation. I've never sexually assaulted Dr. Ford or anyone. Again, I am not questioning that Dr. Ford may have been sexually assaulted by some person in some place at some time. But I've never done that to her or to anyone. 
Dr. Ford's allegation stems from a party that she alleges occurred during the summer of 1982, 36 years ago. I was 17 years old between my junior and senior years of high school at Georgetown Prep, a rigorous all-boys Catholic Jesuit high school in Rockville, Maryland. When my friends and I spent time together at parties on weekends, it was usually with friends from nearby Catholic all-girls high schools, Stone Ridge, Holy Child, Visitation, Immaculata, Holy Cross. Dr. Ford did not attend one of those schools. She attended an independent private school named Holton Arms, and she was a year behind me. She and I did not travel in the same social circles. It is possible that we met at some point, at some events, although I do not recall that. To repeat, all of the people identified by Dr. Ford as being present at the party have said they do not remember any such party ever happening. Importantly, her friend, Ms. Kaiser, has not only denied knowledge of the party, Ms. Kaiser said under penalty of felony, she does not know me does not recall ever being at a party with me ever. And my two male friends who were allegedly there, who knew me well, have told this committee under penalty of felony that they do not recall any such party and that I never did or would do anything like this. Dr. Ford's allegation is not merely uncorroborated. It is refuted by the very people she says were there including by a longtime friend of hers, refuted. Third, Dr. Ford has said that this event occurred at a house near Columbia Country Club, which is at the corner of Connecticut Avenue and East-West Highway in Chevy Chase, Maryland. In her letter to Senator Feinstein, she said that there were four other people at the house. But none of those people, nor I, lived near Columbia Country Club. As of the summer of 1982, Dr. Ford was 15 and could not drive yet. And she did not live near Columbia Country Club. She says confidently that she had one beer at the party. But she does not say how she got to the house in question, or how she got home, or whose house it was. Fourth. I've submitted to this committee detailed calendars recording my activities in the summer of 1982. Why did I keep calendars? My dad started keeping de detailed calendars of his life in 1978. He did so as both a calendar and a diary. It's a very organized guy, to put it mildly. Yeah. Christmas time, we sit around and he regales us with old stories. Old milestones old weddings, old events from his calendars. In 
in ninth grade. In ninth grade, in 1980, I started keeping calendars of my own. For me also, it's both a calendar and a diary. I've kept such calendars diaries for the last 38 years. Mine are not as good as my dad's in some years. And when I was a kid, the calendars are about what you would expect from a kid. Some goofy parts, some embarrassing parts. But I did have the summer of 1982 documented pretty well. The event described by Dr. Ford presumably happened on a weekend because I believe everyone worked and had jobs in the summers. And in any event, a drunken early evening event of the kind she describes presumably happened on a weekend. If it was a weekend, my calendars show that I was out of town almost every weekend night before football training camp started in late August. The only weekend nights that I was in D.C. were Friday, June 4, when I was with my dad at a pro golf tournament. And had my high school achievement test at 8.30 the next morning. I also was in D.C. on Saturday night, August 7th, but I was at a small gathering at Becky's house in Rockville with Matt, Denise, Lori, and Jenny. Their names are all listed on my calendar. I won't use their last names here. And then on the weekend of August 20 to 22nd, I was staying at the Garrett's with Pat and Chris as we did final preparations for football training camp that began on Sunday the 22nd. As the calendars confirm, the, that weekend before a brutal football training camp schedule was no time for parties. So let me emphasize this point. If the party described by Dr. Ford happened in the summer of 1982 on a weekend night, my calendar shows all but definitively that I was not there. During the weekdays in the summer of 1982, as you can see, I was out of town for two weeks of the summer for a trip to the beach with friends and at the legendary five-star basketball camp in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. When I was in town, I spent much of my time working, working out, lifting weights, playing basketball, or hanging out and having some beers with friends as we talked about life and football and school and girls. Some have noticed that I didn't have church on Sundays on my calendars. I also didn't list brushing my teeth, and for me, Going to church on Sundays was like brushing my teeth. Automatic. Still is. In the summer of 1981, I had worked construction. In the summer of 1982, my job was cutting lawns. I had my own business of sorts. You see some specifics about the lawn cutting listed on the August calendar page. 
when I had to time the last lawn cuttings of the summer of various lawns before football training camp. I played in a lot of summer league basketball games for the Georgetown prep team at night at Blair High School in Silver Spring. Many nights I worked out with other guys at Tobin's house. He was the great quarterback on our football team. And his dad ran workouts. Or lifted weights at Georgetown Prep in preparation for the football season. I attended and watched many sporting events, as is my habit to this day. The calendars show a few weekday gatherings at friends' houses after a workout or just to meet up and have some beers. But none of those gatherings included the group of people that Dr. Ford has identified. And as my calendars show, I was very precise about listing who was there. Very precise. And keeping, keep in mind, my calendars also were diaries of sorts, forward-looking and backward-looking, just like my dad's. You can see, for example, that I crossed out missed workouts and the canceled doctor's appointments, and that I listed the precise people who had shown up for certain events. The calendars are obviously not dispositive on their own, but they are another piece of evidence in the mix for you to consider. Fifth, Dr. Ford's allegation is radically inconsistent with my record and my character from my youth to the present day. As students at an all-boys Catholic Jesuit school, many of us became friends and remain friends to this day with students at local Catholic all-girls schools. One feature of my life that has remained true to the present day is that I've always had a lot of close female friends. I'm not talking about girlfriends. I'm talking about friends who are women. That started in high school. Maybe it was because I'm an only child and had no sisters. But anyway, we had no social media or text or email, and we talked on the phone. I remember talking almost every night, it seemed, to my friends Amy or Julie. Or Kristen, or Karen, or Suzanne, or Maura, or Megan, or Nikki. The list goes on. Friends for a lifetime, built on a foundation of talking through school and life starting at age 14. Several of those great women are in the seats right behind me today. My friends and I sometimes got together and had parties on weekends. The drinking age was 18 in Maryland for most of my time in high school and was 18 in DC for all of my time in high school. I drank beer with my friends. Almost everyone did. Sometimes I had too many beers. Sometimes others did. I liked beer. I still like beer. But I did not drink beer to the point of blacking out, and I never sexually assaulted anyone. 
There is a bright line between drinking beer, which I gladly do, and which I fully embrace, and sexually assaulting someone, which is a violent crime. If every American who drinks beer or every American who drank beer in high school is suddenly presumed guilty of sexual assault, we'll be in an ugly new place in this country. I never committed sexual assault. As high school students, we sometimes did goofy or stupid things. I doubt we are alone in looking back at high school and cringing at some things. For one thing, our yearbook was a disaster. I think some editors and students wanted the yearbook to be some combination of Animal House, Caddyshack, and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which were all recent movies at that time. Many of us went along in the yearbook to the point of absurdity. This past week, my friends and I have cringed. When we read about it and talked to each other, One thing in particular we're sad about. One of our good... One of our good female friends who we would admire and went to dances with had her name used on the yearbook page with the term alumnus. That yearbook reference was clumsily intended to show affection and that she was one of us. But in this circus, the media has interpreted the term as related to sex. It was not related to sex. As the woman herself noted the media on the record, she and I never had any sexual interaction at all. I'm so sorry to her for that yearbook reference. This may sound a bit trivial, given all that we are here for, but one thing I want to try to make sure sure of in the future is my friendship with her. She was and is a great person. As to sex, this is not a topic I ever imagined would come up at a judicial confirmation hearing, but I want to give you a full picture of who I was. I never had sexual intercourse or anything close to it during high school or for many years after that. In some crowds, I was probably a little outwardly shy about my inexperience. Tried to hide that. At the same time, I was also inwardly proud of it. For me and the girls who I was friends with, that lack of major or rampant sexual activity in high school was a matter of faith and respect and caution. The committee has a letter from 65 women who knew me in high school.
They said that I always treated them with dignity and respect. That letter came together in one night, 35 years after graduation, while a sexual assault allegation was pending against me in a very fraught and public situation where they knew, they knew they'd be vilified if they defended me. Think about that. They put themselves on the line for me. Those are some awesome women. And I love all of them. <coughs> you also have a letter from women who knew me in college. Most were varsity athletes. And they described that I treated them as friends and equals and supported them in their sports at a time when women's sports was emerging in the wake of Title IX. I thank all of them for all of their texts and their emails and their support. <clears throat> One of those women friends from college, a self-described liberal and feminist. All right, for our affiliates across the Sean Hannity Show Network, we're going to stay with this compelling testimony of Judge Kavanaugh and uh, deviate from our regular break schedule. Some of you may be breaking away, but we'll continue our coverage. Self-described liberal and feminist sent me a text last night that said, quote, deep breaths. You're a good man, a good man, a good man. A text yesterday from another of those women friends from college said, quote, Brett, be strong, pulling for you to my core. <coughs> a third text yesterday from yet another of those women I'm friends with from college said, I'm holding you in the light of God. As I said in my opening statement the last time I was with you, cherish your friends, look out for your friends, lift up your friends, love your friends. I felt that love more over the last two weeks than I ever have in my life. I thank all my friends. I love all my friends. Throughout my life, I've devoted huge efforts to encouraging and promoting the careers of women. I will put my record up against anyone's, male or female. I am proud of the letter from 84 women, 84 women who worked with me at the Bush White House from 2001 to 2006 and described me as, quote, a man of the highest integrity. Read the op-ed from Sarah Day from Yarmouth, Maine. She worked in Oval Office operations outside of President Bush's office. Here's what she recently wrote in centralmaine.com. And today she stands by her comments. Quote, Brett was an advocate for young women like me. He encouraged me to take on more responsibility and to feel confident in my role. In fact, during the 2004 Republican National Convention, Brett gave me the opportunity to help with the preparation and review of the president's remarks, something I never, 
something I never would have had the chance to do if he had not included me. And he didn't just include me in the work. He made sure I was at Madison Square Garden to watch the president's speech instead of back at the hotel watching on TV. End quote. As a judge since 2006, I've had the privilege of hiring four recent law school graduates to serve as my law clerks each year. The law clerks for federal judges are the best and brightest graduates of American law schools. They work for one-year terms for judges after law school, and then they move on in their careers. For judges, training these young lawyers is an important responsibility. The clerks will become the next generation of American lawyers and leaders, judges and senators. Just after I took the bench in 2006, there was a major New York Times story about the low numbers of women law clerks at the Supreme Court and federal appeals courts. I took notice and I took action. A majority of my 48 law clerks over the last 12 years have been women. In a letter to this committee, my women law clerks said I was one of the strongest advocates in the federal judiciary for women lawyers. And they wrote that the legal profession is fairer and more equal because of me. In my time on the bench, no federal judge, not a single one in the country, has sent more women law clerks to clerk on the Supreme Court than I have. Before this allegation arose two weeks ago, I was required to start making certain administrative preparations for my possible transfer to the Supreme Court, just in case I was confirmed. As part of that, I had to, in essence, contingently hire a first group of four law clerks who could be available to clerk at the Supreme Court for me on a moment's notice. I did so and contingently hired four law clerks. All four are women. If confirmed, I'll be the first justice in the history of the Supreme Court to have a group of all women law clerks. That is who I am. That is who I was. Over the past 12 years, I've taught constitutional law to hundreds of students, primarily at Harvard Law School, while I was hired by then Dean and now Justice Elena Kagan. One of my former women's students, a Democrat, testified to this committee that I was an even-handed professor who treats people fairly and with respect. In a letter to this committee, my former students, male and female alike, wrote that I displayed a character that impressed us all. I love teaching law, but thanks to what some of you on this side of the committee have unleashed, I may never be able to teach again. For the past seven years, I've coached my two daughters' basketball teams. You saw many of those girls when they came to my hearing for a couple of hours. You have a letter from the parents of the girls I coached that described my dedication, commitment, and character. 
I coach because I know that a girl's confidence on the basketball court translates into confidence in other aspects of life. I love coaching more than anything I've ever done in my whole life. But thanks to what some of you on this side of the committee have unleashed, I may never be able to coach again. I've been a judge for 12 years. I have a long record of service to America and to the Constitution. I revere the Constitution. I am deeply grateful to President Trump for nominating me. He was so gracious to my family and me on the July night. He announced my nomination at the White House. I thank him for his steadfast support. When I accepted the president's nomination, Ashley and I knew this process would be challenging. We never expected that it would devolve into this. Explaining this to our daughters has been about the worst experience of our lives. Ashley has been a rock. I thank God every day for Ashley and my family. We live in a country devoted to due process and the rule of law. That means taking allegations seriously. But if the mere allegation, the mere assertion of an allegation, a refuted allegation from 36 years ago, is enough to destroy a person's life and career, we will have abandoned the basic principles of fairness and due process that define our legal system and our country. I ask you to judge me by the standard that you would want applied to your father, your husband, your brother, or your son. My family and I intend no ill will toward Dr. Ford or her family. But I swear today, under oath, before the Senate and the nation, before my family and God, I am innocent of this charge. Do you have opinions that you feel you can't express? I think we all do. Are you looking for a place to stir up conversation and let your opinions be heard? I want to introduce you to a new alternative social media site, Snippy.com. Snippy is an unbiased social media platform that's all about conversation and community. Snippy not only encourages freedom of expression, but guarantees its users the ability to discuss topics freely, without any suppression from administrators. Check in for a quick update about current events, or spend hours scrolling through users' posts. Write your thoughts and strike up conversation. Snippy's founders have intentionally created a forum where anyone can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything really. It's a place where discussion is valued. A place where your opinion matters. Totally free. Go to snippy.com now to express yourself. No shadow banning, no character limit, and no suppression of conservative thought ever. Check out the website at snippy.com or download the app. No censorship, no agenda. Join us at Snippy to get the discussion rolling. Thank you, uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, 
Before Judge we... Kavanaugh's opening statement, uh, Charles Grassley. Um, we're going to take our break coming up here in, well, about a minute. Probably the single most powerful testimony I think I've ever heard in my 30 years in radio and my 23 years now on the Fox News Channel. And, you know, my buddy Gomez called me yesterday, my best friend from third grade, and he goes, Hannity, I tuned in yesterday, and you went through racist, sexist. He goes, I can even say it now. And he goes, I know why you do it. I said, I know why I do it, too. I said, because every time, every two, four years, when you call someone a racist and a sexist and a homophobe, and they want to kill children, and they want dirty air and water, and they want to throw granny over the cliff, it's character assassination against real people. Now we have a face to what has been a real character assassination attempt because he would sit on the Supreme Court of the United States. If we don't fix this, this country's doomed. All right, glad you're with us. Hour two, Sean Hannity Show. I think that was probably the single most defining moment of testimony that I've ever seen in my life. That's Judge Kavanaugh just finished his testimony. You know, I'm, I'm really torn because I have so much to say about it. I know many of you have a lot to say about it. Um, the Republicans are going to stay, I guess, in format like they had earlier. And this uh, woman who was, I guess, a prosecutor um, is going to do the questioning for them. But let's start with Dianne Feinstein. We'll dip in and out now as warranted. And uh, here's... Uh, here are her comments just moments ago. It's my understanding that you have denied the allegations by Dr. Ford, Ms. Ramirez, and Ms. Swetnick. Is that correct? Yes. All three of these women have asked the FBI to investigate their claims. Um, I listened carefully to what you said. Your concern is evident and clear. And... If you're very confident of your position, and you appear to be, why aren't you also asking the FBI to investigate these claims? Senator, I'll do whatever the committee wants. I wanted a hearing the day after the allegation came up. I wanted to be here that day. Instead, 10 days passed where all this nonsense is coming out you know, that I'm in gangs, I'm on boats in Rhode Island, I'm in Colorado, you know, I'm cited all over the place. And these things are printed and run breathlessly by cable news. You know, I wanted a hearing the next day. I, my family's been destroyed by this, Senator. Destroyed. And, I'm, and, I'm and, and whoever wants, you know, whatever the committee decides, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all in question immediately. Is I'm all in immediately. Yeah. And the terrible and hard part of this is when we get an allegation, we're not in a position to prove it or disprove it. Therefore, we have to depend on some outside authority for it. And it, would, it just seemed to me then when these allegations came forward that you would want the FBI to investigate those claims and clear it up once and for all. Senator, uh, the committee investigates. Uh, it's not for me to, to say how to do it, but just so you know, the FBI doesn't reach a conclusion. They would give you a, a couple 302s that just tell you what we said. So I'm here. I wanted to be here. I wanted to be here the next day. 
it was an, it's an outrage that I was not allowed to come and immediately defend my name and say, I didn't do this and give you all this evidence. I'm not even, I'm not even in D.C. on the weekends in the summer of 1982. <laughs> this happened on a weekday? Well, is it, when, when I'm not at a Blair High School for a summer league game. I'm not at Tobin's house working out. I'm not at a movie with Suzanne. <coughs> You know, I wanted to be here right away. That well, the difficult thing is that it the, these these hearings are set and um, set by the majority. Um, but I'm talking about getting the evidence and having the evidence looked at. And I don't. What we're going to do is we're going to dip in and out of uh, all this. Um, I will tell you this. This is going to be a moment. A, a really good friend of mine just wrote that wrote me, and he said, "You know, this is a have you no shame moment for this country. This needs to be a mate. There needs to be a major national shift, and all of these instances that we have in this country where people rush to judgment and people make accusations." Remember, there were four people. Let's go back and this specific case we heard from Professor Ford earlier today didn't come up till the end of a hearing. And this is how it went all morning. She gave an opening statement. She said she was certain. She reiterated her claim. They're taking a 15 minute break, by the way, as we speak. And Dr. Ford claimed that four people were at this this particular party where Judge Kavanaugh um you know, actually, you know, got on top of her and groped her when she was in her bathing suit and had clothes on her bathing suit and she was afraid, et cetera, and put her hand over her face. Four individuals that Dr. Ford claimed attended that party were Judge Kavanaugh, Mark Judge, Patrick Smythe, and Ms. Leland Ingram Kaiser. And the committee reached out. You talk about investigations. Every guy, FBI, FBI. Well, as soon as they got the information, which was withheld from them, by Diane Feinstein, all of that time when they finally got the information, the committee did the right thing. And they reached out to every person and they asked every person and gave every person an opportunity to conduct a confidential interview. And Mr. Judge, Mr. Smythe, Ms. Kaiser all denied having any knowledge of any party that matched Professor Ford's description. Which, of course, bolstered, you know, in this case, Judge Kavanaugh's case. Mark Judge was put by Professor Ford in the room. He said no such thing ever happened. There's no corroboration, no evidence of Professor Ford that she has. And, and, and even, even Judge Kavanaugh said, yeah, of course, every accuser has a right to be heard, as does the accused. But the accused in this case has an eyewitness. The accused in this case has two other people that said it never happened. The accuser in this case has none of that. And all morning, it pretty much went like this after Professor Ford gave her statement. Then the Democrat would come up and say, You're, I believe you. Every, every And by the way, if, if you're a Republican and you don't believe her testimony, I mean, that's that's the trick question. You're saying she's lying. Well, actually, I think it was addressed very well 
by Judge Kavanaugh. She may have been, but it wasn't me. I never did this. I've never been like this, emphatically. And then the, the, the flurry of, of false accusations, you know, cascading down on the country like this. You know, there's a reason I was telling the story earlier, you know, about conversation I had with my buddy John Gomez last night. We've been friends from third grade. And he says, I know you bring this up. And yeah, I do. I bring it up on purpose. Because it's wrong what is done every two and four years in this country. When just as a matter of political, normal, so-called discourse, and there's nothing normal about it, that individuals that decide to, they want to serve their country, they want to be in Congress, they want to be in the Senate, they want to be a governor, they want to be serving it on the city council even, You can expect in so many of these races, and this is the Democrats' MO, that you're racist, that you're sexist, that you're misogynistic, that you're homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. And if you don't support their bizarre theories on global warming, then you want dirty air and water and you want to kill children. And if you only support a 7% increase, in Medicare every year instead of a 10% increase that means you want grandma to die and throw her over the cliff and she's gonna die and that's where we now are we have what this is this is a crucial moment for this country because the Democratic Party as I have been saying is now a party of smear lies slander besmirchment character assassination as a matter of due course. And it's not just elections. It's Robert Bork, it's Clarence Thomas, now it's Judge Kavanaugh. I mean, where does this guy ever go to get away from this for the rest of his life? You know, when you go through this slowly and you go through the guy that's passed six background checks, You know, all of every single person that seems to know him throughout the last 40 years, everybody says the most wonderful things about him. He's never faced until 12, 13 days ago any allegation of this nature of any kind. The Democrats playing games, holding on to this information since July. You know, we know what they all are. You know, in the case of Professor Ford, she can't remember a date, a location, even the exact year of the alleged incident. She can't remember what happened before or after the incident. The four witnesses that Ford listed to corroborate her claims all deny what she's saying, including somebody she put in the room at the time the alleged incident happened. And, you know, Republicans have actually for once done the right thing. I didn't particularly like this morning the way it was handled. I know why they handled it that way. Because if they started asking tough questions of Professor Ford, the first thing out of any Democrats, they hate women. They don't believe her. It may actually be more nuanced than that. And I can't get into the mind of anybody, and I'm not attacking anybody here. I've said all along that she should have the right to speak. Republicans have said it. The president have said it. 
But we've seen this rush to judgment also so many different times. That's why I spent time twice on this program and on TV this week explaining a pivotal key moment that changed my life. When I was in Atlanta and I was on radio in Atlanta and it was 1996, the year I came to Fox, but the, it was the summer Olympics were in Atlanta and Richard Jewell fit the profile of the soul bomber because the lone bomber, he lived with his mother. And then when he told me not long after that he had been listening to me say, whoa, that doesn't mean he's a bomber and everybody else rushed to judgment. Think about it. Duke Lacrosse rushed to judgment. How many of those people rushed to judgment? Ferguson, Missouri, Cambridge Police, Trayvon Martin, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. We had high profile cases where Barack Obama rushed to judgment. These are real people, real families, real names. These are real scurrilous accusations. You've got to have some evidence. We're talking about 15, 16-year-old kids 36 years ago. And in Professor Ford's case, she didn't remember it until 2012, six years ago. There's a 30-year period of time in between there. And in that time, people have gotten to know and work with Judge Kavanaugh. And they have very different things to say. Here's why it's so important. You know, we've got an election in 40 days. And there literally is a party that does not believe in due process, does not believe in our fundamental constitutional rights. They don't believe in one of our core principles, which is the presumption of innocence. You know, I watch this man and I, I, you see the pain and agony that this man has endured. There's no evidence here in this case. There's zero corroboration after all we've heard today. And I can go through case number two and case number three and case number four. And how many of these senators say, well, men shut up. But then also, what else did they say? You know, they said what? They said, oh, I believe her. But that's also saying you don't believe him. All right, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to get back to the testimony. They're in a 15-minute break. We'll be going in and out throughout the afternoon. We'll have other guests, and we'll get some calls in as well. I don't think I've ever seen more compelling testimony, and this this is going to be history. This is going to be referred to for decades and decades and decades to come. And you watch. The Democrats are in a room right now plotting planning, scheming, many with presidential ambitions, how they can hurt Judge Kavanaugh after that compelling testimony. That is, and you'll see the difference in how they treat Judge Kavanaugh versus how they treated Professor Ford, because they've made up their mind before he was ever appointed. A lot of them. Didn't matter who that Donald Trump was going to pick. They want to stop this at all costs. And they've shown themselves to be, you know, that, that they, they won't stoop to any. There's no low now. All right. The Kavanaugh, uh, the Kavanaugh hearings are about to start up again. Uh, when it does, when it gets interesting, we'll bring all of that to you. You know, there's just so much to get to in terms of as I watch this, this all unfold. And I'm thinking that this is so much 
this is much, much bigger than what we're just dealing with today. And and today, obviously, you hear from Professor Ford, and now we're hearing from from Judge Kavanaugh on what was a, a passionate, passionate, emotional rebuttal. Uh, let's just dip in here as Pat Leahy for a second. Senator Leahy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Judge, you said before and again today that uh, Mark Judge was a close friend of yours in high school. Now, Dr. Ford, as you know, has said that he was in the room when she was attacked. She also says you were, too. Unfortunately, the FBI has never interviewed him. Um, we would not be able to have his attendance here. The chairman um, refuses to call him. If she's saying Mark Judge was in the room then, then he should be in the room here today. Uh, Let's take our usual break here. Um, we'll get back to some of this. I, I think the Democrats were so taken back by that powerful testimony that they probably are now they're probably bewildered because their plan just went out the window. We'll see how that unfolds as we continue. Glad you're with us, Sean Hannity Show in D.C. All right, 25 now till the uh, top of the hour. If you're just joining us, a powerful one-hour opening statement by Judge Kavanaugh in a rebuttal against the accusations made by Professor Ford. Republicans have opted again this afternoon to, well, that's the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Republican leadership, to use the services, having retained Rachel Mitchell. She is an Arizona prosecutor specializing in sex crimes, uh, not only to question Professor Ford, but also in this particular case, Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, Just moments ago, Pat Leahy and the judge got into it. Listen to this. Mark Judge was a close friend of yours in high school. Now, Dr. Ford, as you know, has said that he was in the room when she was attacked. She also says you were, too. Unfortunately, the FBI has never interviewed him. Um, We would not be able to have his attendance here. The chairman um, refuses to call him. If she's saying Mark Judge was in the room then, then he should be in the room here today. Uh, Would you want him called as a witness? Senator, this allegation came into the committee. No, no, I'm just asking the question. Would you want him to be here as a witness? He's he's already provided sworn testimony to the committee. This allegation's been hidden by the committee, uh, by by members of the committee. It hasn't been... It has not been investigated by the FBI. The committee has refused to allow it to be. It was dropped on me. It was sprung. It was not investigated by the FBI, and he has not been called where he might be under. Should have been handled in the due course, Senator, no, was, then, when he came I, in. I would uh, I would disagree with that. I've been on this committee 44 years, both Republicans and Democrats. I've never seen somebody that critical and not allowed to be here to uh, called to be testified or an FBI background, but let me he's, he's provided sworn testimony, and the and, uh, he and, has, and Senator, he has Senator, not, let me let me finish. He uh, the 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 allegation came in weeks ago, and and nothing was done with it by the ranking member, uh, and then it sprung Judge, on me. Judge Kavanaugh, I've heard your your line, and you you stated it over and over again, and uh, I have that well in mind. But let me ask you this. 
He authored a book titled Wasted, Tales of a Gen X Drunk. He references a Bart Kavanaugh vomiting in someone's car during Beach Week and then passing out. Is that you that he's talking about? Senator, uh, Mark Judge uh, was... Uh, Your knowledge is that you that he's talking about? I'll explain if you let me. Pro proceed, please. Mark Judge was a friend of ours in high school who developed a very serious drinking problem, an addiction problem, that lasted decades and was very difficult for him to, to escape from. And uh, he nearly died. And then he, developed, then he had leukemia as well on top of it. Now, as part of his therapy, or part of his coming to grips with sobriety, he wrote a book that is a fictionalized book uh, and an account. I think he picked out names of friends of ours to throw them in as kind of close to what for characters in the book. So, so you know, we, we can know sit what, here. We don't know whether that's you or not. We can sit here you know and you know, like make, make fun of some guy who has an addiction. I'm not making I don't think fun that of really anybody, makes, uh, is really Kavanaugh, good. I'm trying to get a straight answer from you under oath. Are you Bart Kavanaugh that he's referring to? Yes or no? That's You'd it. have to ask him. Well, I agree with you there. And that's why I wish that the uh, chairman had him here under oath. Now, you've talked about your yearbook. Uh, in your yearbook, uh, you talked about drinking and sexual exploits, did you not? Senator, let me, uh, let me take a step back and explain uh, high school. Uh, I was number one in the class. Freshman. I, and I thought no, 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 no. I thought only the Senate. You got this up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about my high Senate school. No, no. I'm gonna let talk, him answer. I'm gonna talk about my high school record. If you're gonna sit here and mock me, we, we, we were. I think we were all very fair to Dr. Ford. Shouldn't we be just as fair to Judge Kevin? Say, I busted my butt in academics. I always tried to do the best I could. So I recall I finished one in the class, first in, uh, you know, freshman and junior year, right up at the top with Steve Clark and Eddie Ayala. We were always kind of in the mix. I, I played sports. I was captain of the varsity basketball team. I was wide receiver and defensive back on the football team. I ran track in the spring of 82 to try to get faster. I did my um, service projects at the school, which involved going to the soup kitchen downtown. Let me finish. And go going to tutor intellectually disabled kids at the Rockville Library. Went to church. And yes, we got together with our friends. Does this reflect what you are? Does this yearbook reflect your I, focus on academics and your respect for women? That's easy, yes or no. You don't have to filibuster the answer. Does it reflect your focus on I already academics? said the yearbook in my opening statement. The yearbook the judge, is obviously... Just wait a minute. Uh, he's asked the question. I'll give you time to answer it. The, the yearbook, as I said in my opening statement, was something where the students and, and editors uh, 
made a decision to treat some of it as farce and some of it as exaggeration, some of it celebrating things that don't reflect the things that were really the central part of our school. Yes, we went to parties, though. Yes, of course, we went to parties, and the yearbook page uh, describes that and kind of makes fun of it. And as a, you know, if we want to sit here and talk about whether a Supreme Court nomination should be based on a high school yearbook page, I think that's uh, taken us to a new level of absurdity. So, Ms. Mitchell. Well, we got to talk. We're, we're now Dick Durbin live here. Let's go to him. He's now up. Durbin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, earlier today, Dr. Christine Ford sat in that same chair. And under oath, she said clearly and unequivocally that she was the victim of sexual assault at your hands. She answered our questions directly, and she didn't flinch at the prospect of submitting herself to an FBI investigation of these charges. We know, and I'm sure she's been advised by our attorneys, that a person lying to the FBI can face criminal prosecution. You have clearly and unequivocally denied that you assaulted Dr. Ford. With that statement, you must believe that there is no credible evidence or any credible witness that can prove otherwise. You started off with an impassioned statement at the beginning, and I can imagine, try to imagine what you have been through or your family's been through, and I'm sure I wouldn't get close to it. But it was an impassioned statement. I'm sure I wouldn't. It's an impassioned statement. And in the course of it, you said... I welcome any kind of investigation. I quote you. I welcome any kind of investigation. I've got a suggestion for you. Right now, turn to your left in the front row. To Don McGahn, counsel to President Donald Trump. Ask him to suspend this hearing and nomination process until the FBI completes its investigation of the charges made by Dr. Ford and others and goes to bring the witnesses forward and provides that information to this hearing. I'm sure that the chairman at that point will understand that that is a reasonable request to finally put to rest these charges if they are false or to prove them if they are not. You spent two years in the White House office that approved judicial nominees. You turned to the FBI over and over and over again for their work. Let's bring them in here and now. Turn to Don McGahn and tell him it's time to get this done. An FBI investigation is the only way to answer some of these questions. Stop the the clock. Uh, This committee is, is running this hearing. Not the White House, not Don McGahn, not even you as a nominee. Uh, We are here today because Dr. Ford asked for an opportunity here. I know you did too as well. In fact, maybe even before she did. We're here because people wanted to be heard from charges that they all thought were unfair or activities like sexual assault was unfair. So I want to assure Senator Durbin, regardless of what you say to Senator Don McGahn, we're not suspending this hearing. Proceed to answer the question or whatever, or if the gentleman... I'll I'll just say this. If you, Judge Kavanaugh, turned to Don McGahn 
and to this committee and say, for the sake of my reputation, my family name, and to get to the bottom of the truth of this, I am not going to be an obstacle to an FBI investigation. I would hope that all the members of the committee would join me in saying we're going to abide by your wishes. It's already been investigated. All four witnesses are on the record. Let's keep listening to do because I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do. I, I'm telling the truth. I want to know what you want to do, Judge. I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this charge. And you're prepared for an FBI investigation? They don't reach conclusions. You reach the conclusions. No, Senator. but they do investigate questions. I'm, I'm innocent. And you can't have it both ways, Judge. You can't say here at the beginning, I wanted a hearing. moment, Look, I welcome thing, any kind of investigation. This thing was sprung on me. This. this thing was sprung at the last minute after being held by staff. You know, Judge, and I called for no I called for a to, hearing immediately. If there is no truth to her charges, the FBI investigation will show that. Are you afraid that they might not? Oh, no. Come on, hey. The FBI does not reach. Con- you know, you know this is. You know that's a phony well, question because the FBI doesn't reach conclusions. So let, they just go. provide the 302s with 302s. So I can explain to people who don't know what that is. What? They just go and do what you're doing. Yeah. Ask questions and then type up a report. They don't reach the bottom. This morning, uh, this morning I asked Dr. Ford, I asked her about this incident where she ran into Mark Judge at Safeway. And she said, sure, I remember, six or eight weeks after this occurrence. Well, someone at the Washington Post went in and took a look at Mr. Judge's book and has been able to, the run that he wrote about his addiction and his uh, alcoholism. And they have narrowed it down what they think was a period of time, six or eight weeks after the event. And he would have been working at the Safeway at that point. So the point I'm getting to is we at least can connect some dots here and get some information. Why would you resist that Here's kind of dots. investigation? Why would you resist that kind of investigation? Sir, I, I welcome... I wanted the hearing last week. I'm asking about the FBI investigation. There, the committee figures out how to a- ask the questions. I'll do whatever. I've been on the phone multiple times with committee counsel. I'll talk to... Judge Kavanaugh, will you support an FBI investigation I'll do, I'll, right now? I, I will do whatever the committee wants to... Personally, do you think that's the best thing for us to do? You want to answer? You know, look, Senator, I, I've, I've, I, I've said I wanted a hearing, and I'd said I was welcome anything. I'm innocent. This thing was held, held when it could have been presented in the ordinary way. It could have been held and handled confidentially at first, which was what Dr. Ford's wishes were, as I understand it. It wouldn't have caused this, like, destroyed my family like this, this effort has. I think an FBI investigation will help all of us on both sides of the issue. Oh. Uh, Senator Graham asked for the floor, but before he does... It seems to me that if you want to know something, you got the witness right here to to ask him. And secondly, if you want an FBI report, uh, you can ask for it yourself. I've asked. Along the Sean Hannity Show Network, you don't want to miss this. We're going to uh, pass on our next break. Uh, We're about a minute behind. Listen to Lindsey Graham. At 923. On the night of July the 9th, the day you were nominated to the Supreme Court by President Trump 
Senator Schumer said, 23 minutes after your nomination. I will oppose Judge Kavanaugh's nomination with everything I have. I have a bipartisan, and I hope a bipartisan majority will do the same. The stakes are simply too high for anything less. Well, if you weren't aware of it, you are now. Did you meet with Senator Dianne Feinstein on August 20th? I did meet with Senator Feinstein. Did you know that her staff had already recommended a lawyer to Dr. Ford? I did not know that. Did you know that her and her staff had this allegations for over 20 days? I did not know that at the time. If you wanted an FBI investigation, you could have come to us. What you want to do is destroy this guy's life, hold this seat open, and hope you win in 2020. You've said that, not me. You've got nothing to apologize for. When you see Sotomayor and Kagan, tell them that Lindsey said all because I voted for them. I would never do to them what you've done to this guy. This is the most unethical sham since I've been in politics. And if you really wanted to know the truth, you sure as hell wouldn't have done what you've done to this guy. Are you a gang rapist? No. I cannot imagine what you and your family have gone through. Boy, y'all want power. God, I hope you never get it. I hope the American people can see through this sham that you knew about it and you held it. You had no intention of protecting Dr. Ford. None. She's as much of a victim as you are. God, I hate to say it because these have been my friends. But let me tell you, when it comes to this, you're looking for a fair process? You came to the wrong town at the wrong time, my friend. Do you consider this a job interview? The advice and consent role is like a job. You consider that you've been through a job interview. I've been through a process of advice and consent under the Constitution. Would you say you've been through hell? I've been through uh, hell and then some. This is not a job interview. Yeah. This is hell. This, this, This is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You have interacted with professional women all your life, not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden, you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct, harbors no biases or prejudices. He's entirely ethical, is a really decent person. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person. The ABA. The one thing I can tell you you should be proud of, Ashley, You should be proud of this, that you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want this seat? I hope you never get it.
I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade. And I wish you well. And I intend to vote for you. And I hope everybody who's fair-minded will. Uh, Senator Whitehouse. I don't think Lindsey Graham has ever had a finer moment in his career. That sham of uh, Dick Durbin. Oh, well, just stop the thing right now. Just stop the hearing right now. Well, you can't stop the hearing right now. And the fact is the investigation already took place. And we've played Joe Biden saying the FBI doesn't investigate. They just give you the information, which they've done six times. And the Senate committee has interviewed everybody at the party under oath, under the threat of a felony perjury. It's a it is grandstanding and it's all the same game. Smear, slander, besmirch, character assassination, bludgeon, if you will, destroy and in the end, kill off your character. Have these people no shame at all? None. There is an eyewitness that was in the room. And he said no such thing happened. 800-941-SHAWN is our toll-free telephone number. I want to remind you about our friends at the USCCA. Now, they're the people that want responsibly armed Americans. And you know what? People never tell the true stories about how, yeah, more guns, less crime, John Lott's book. And because of that, if God forbid you're ever in a situation where you have to defend yourself, your family at home, home invasion, whatever happens to be, um, you're either going to be hailed as a hero or a criminal. But you know what? The USCCA, our friends, they have their critical self-defense survival guide and you're finally going to learn what to do when the smoke clears if god forbid it ever happens to you and you can get it absolutely free you need to know this information before anything horrible ever happens and the next thing you need to have is a deadly force checklist and you can get all of this your free copy in just seconds just by texting the word free f-r-e-e to the number 87222 and you can get yours right now 87 222 after you put in the word free text the number free 87222 and you'll also get as a bonus the true stories of survival of people that yeah did use their second amendment rights to defend themselves and their family and the brand new uh, true stories of self-defense it's an audiobook that's three life-saving tools it's all free text the word free f-r-e-e to 87222 text the word free to 87222 you know, I, I, I just, I am blown away by what Lindsey Graham just did. Totally, completely blown away. Um, look, uh, I've got so much on this to say. We also have some guests standing by, Sarah Carter, Greg Jarrett, uh, Dr. Gorka, Kaylee McEnany, uh, D.C. McAllister, a lot of people that have a lot of things to say here. But I will tell you, this moment, this day, has got to be and got to become in this country, a moment where we decide, are we going to be a nation of laws? Are we going to respect the Constitution? Are we going to respect valued principles such as due process and the presumption of innocence? Or are we now going to turn into a country, oh, guilt 
by accusation. What are we going to be? What, what Are we going to allow a party every two and four years to smear, slander their opponents the way the left in this country does? Are we going to see this in every Supreme Court nomination? Who would ever want to serve in the public arena? Ever. They're not doing it for the money. How are we going to ever get good people? How is it you say, I believe this one when you haven't heard from that one? It literally debases the whole process, which we've seen a lot of. All right, quick break. We'll have more. Sean Hannity Show. Glad you're with us. You have interacted with professional women all your life. Not one accusation. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden you got over it. It's been my understanding that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. Here's my understanding. If you lived a good life, people would recognize it, like the American Bar Association has the gold standard. His integrity is absolutely unquestioned. He is the very circumspect in his personal conduct, harbors no biases or prejudices. He's entirely ethical, is a really decent person. He is warm, friendly, unassuming. He's the nicest person, the ABA. The one thing I can tell you, you should be proud of. Ashley, you should be proud of this, that you raised a daughter who had the good character to pray for Dr. Ford. To my Republican colleagues, if you vote no, you're legitimizing the most despicable thing I have seen in my time in politics. You want this seat? I hope you never get it. I hope you're on the Supreme Court. That's exactly where you should be. And I hope that the American people will see through this charade. And I wish you well. And I intend to vote for you. And I hope everybody who's fair-minded will. The most powerful moment, I'd argue, in Lindsey Graham's career today. He just had it with this nonsense, this trap question. You should turn to Don McGahn now and say, stop the process so this can be investigated. It's been investigated. All four people that were, once they finally told the Republicans who was at the party that Dr. Ford had mentioned where she alleged abuse took place, once they got the name of the four individuals, which was a long time after the Democrats had it, well, the committee reached out to every person and they conducted confidential interviews and they all gave sworn testimony, all of them. And in each case, all of them denied any knowledge of any party that matched Professor Ford's description, all of them. And Mark Judge, who was in the room at the time, said, absolutely not. It never happened. Anyway, we're going to be dipping in and out uh, throughout the testimony. We'll have, uh, I am literally in the midst of this. I'm like chomping at the bit to be on, but I think it's more important that you hear this testimony directly from Judge Kavanaugh and and see the, the are they taking a break now? All right, they're now taking a, another break, and I guess they'll come back. 
let me bring into the discussion here Sarah Carter, Fox News investigative reporter. We have Greg Jarrett, of course, his number one book, The Russia Hoax, and Dr. Sebastian Gorka has a great article up on the Hill today. Uh, Sarah, we'll start with you and your analysis of what has gone on here today. And I don't think I've ever seen a more powerful statement, testimony ever given than what we, in all the years I've been covering politics, of Judge Kavanaugh today. I've never seen anything quite like it myself, Sean. I literally have been riveted to the testimony. I wanted to take a step back. I haven't been able to write anything because I've really wanted to clearly hear both Kavanaugh and Ford's testimony. I can tell you people across this country, from the responses I'm receiving on social media and emails, literally... All right, Sarah, we're having a little bit of a problem with your phone. I, I, I had people that I know writing me, Greg Jarrett, that they're crying during this testimony as Judge Kavanaugh broke down a number of times, you know, pointing out his innocence. And the cold and look, the Democratic Party now, they're not a party of the Constitution of due process anymore. They're not a party of of equal justice under the law. They're not a party of now the party of smear, besmirchment, bludgeoning, character assassination. They don't care if it's a dossier. They don't care if they call you a racist. They don't care if they say that they want to kill grandma. They just this is now regular order for them. If Brett Kavanaugh was not telling the truth, he is one of America's greatest actors. The emotion he evinced during today's hearing cannot be feigned. When it finally spilled out, it was real, it was raw. His anger and indignation could be felt at being falsely accused. It was palpable. You know, most people who are wrongfully accused react with outrage, and we saw that today from Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, It was a forceful and convincing defense of himself. And I must say, his core message was both compelling and conciliatory. He said, I don't question that Dr. Ford was sexually assaulted at some time and at some place, but it was not me. And it was important that he emphasize, and he did this, that none of the people identified as allegedly attending this party in question corroborate the accusations leveled against him. And let me just say one more thing. In support of his denial, Kavanaugh offered a meticulous calendar that he kept in 1982. This is a remarkable piece of what I think is exculpatory evidence. It shows he was out of town nearly every weekend for the two weekends he was in town. His whereabouts are accounted for. His weekdays equally accounted for. These records reflect that there were no parties uh, involving the people alleged. And, yes, this may not be dispositive evidence, but it's highly persuasive. Dr. Gorka. Like most historic events, and today is a historic day in American history, these moments are, are bittersweet, Sean. It's, it's bitter because of what has been done to a good man for purely political purposes. You heard him repeatedly say, my family has been destroyed. But at the same time, Sean, we have to recognize that we have been taught a lesson as long as there are men as brave as this man 
who will never back down, who will stand up to the calumny, who will face down those who would destroy his reputation and his family purely for political purposes, then, then America will always survive. So today, I, I'm glad to be alive, to have seen Judge Kavanaugh did, do what he did. But at the same time, I'm ashamed that there are Americans in the Senate who have done what they have done to this good man. Sarah, I know we have you back on another line. I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. Uh, I... I, I think I was stunned, Sean, like most Americans. I mean, just so moved by his opening statement and how he just threw the script away and talked about how this personally affected his family, how his daughter prayed for Dr. Ford and how his wife, you know, sitting behind him, you could see the love she has for her husband and the enormous strength they have as a family to stand by him through what is, I think, the most brutal political move by the Democrats. I, I, I can't even imagine what they went through. But I tell you what was even most surprising to me today was going through social media, reading the email, listening to people talk about this across the country. There are so many people across this country that are just they said they were in tears. They just feel ashamed. Look, he is innocent until proven guilty. He does not need to present anything. The burden is on Dr. Ford, and it's a tragedy because if something happened to her that harmed her in such a way that she has emotionally been debilitated by this, God bless her. I mean, I hope she finds a resolution, but there is nobody that has come and supported the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. She is the only one, even her closest friend, Leland Kaiser, you know, at that time, had no idea what she was talking about. You know, under penalty of perjury, signed a letter saying, I don't even remember that. We have to be logical here. We have to be smart. We have to think, what, where is the evidence that supports this? We are dragging this man through the mud. I think the American people understand what's going on here. I think one more point, you know, they keep pushing and pushing for this FBI investigation. First of all, this would be a local police investigation. And the only reason, and talking to sources on Capitol Hill and other people about this, I mean, the only reason they're asking for this, and we all know why, is to delay any kind of hearing. This is not benefit neither Dr. Ford, nor does it benefit. Well, they've Judge had it Kavanaugh. for six. They, they look, this is this is the whole timing yeah. aspect of it. You know, an FBI investigation would not be the standard procedure. We all know that Joe Biden knows that we played it the other day, the other night. Uh, the FBI doesn't make any credibility assessment. There's no crime that they're investigating, as they have said here. And Joe Biden had said at the time, the reason we can't rely on the FBI report is you wouldn't like it if we did because it's so inconclusive. They say, he said, she said, and they report, period. So they're playing a game with this and Dick Durbin's game. I, and then Lindsey Graham just steps up. But it's not just this instance. It's, you know, it's the New Yorker magazine that even the New York Times said after interviewing dozens of people in an attempt to corroborate the story of Miss Ramirez, that she herself 
They, they even found her contacting former Yale classmates asking if they recalled the incident and told some of them that she could be could not be certain that Kavanaugh was the one in that case. Well, then you have the phony, uh, you know, Rhode Island allegation. He's never been to Rhode Island. Then the phony uh, Denver allegation or Colorado allegation. Then you've got, you know, the, you know, this lunatic. Avenatti, and and he comes up with Julie Swetnick, and we're supposed to believe that that she went to at least ten parties where boys were lined up after the boys had intoxicated or drugged girls, and they would line up and wait their turn to gang rape or train rape all of these women, and it, it and according it happened all the time, and nobody ever said a word to a teacher, to a parent, to a pastor, to a, a anybody. And this is this is now what what represents Democratic. This is how bad they want this seat. This is what they're willing to do to an individual. And, and anybody that, who hires Michael uh-huh. Avenatti as their lawyer immediately loses all credibility. So that accusation should be thrown out. Uh, As far as The New Yorker, that is the worst piece of journalism I have ever seen, pure garbage. And it was completely debunked by The New York Times, which, as you point out, Sean, found out that she's calling up people saying, you know, I don't really remember if it was Kavanaugh. Do Do you know if it was Kavanaugh? So all that remains is Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who did tell a credible story. She seemed authentic and sincere. But as Sarah points out, when two people tell different and compelling and conflicting stories, the benefit of the doubt must always go to the accused. This is consistent. There is no zero corroboration. None. There is corroboration for Judge Kavanaugh. There is a distinct difference here. And that should matter if you believe in the Constitution, the rule of law, due process, and something called the presumption of innocence. We see this all the time. People rush to judgment. Richard Jewell, Duke LaCrosse, Cambridge Police, Trayvon Martin, Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, We see it in Baltimore. We see it all the time. And the same people make the same mistakes and never get held responsible. Dr. Gorka. Yeah, but we have to be clear about one thing. This isn't about Judge Kavanaugh. This, in fact, has nothing to do with him. Whoever had been the nominee, it doesn't matter who President Trump had picked, they would have been destroyed or attempts would have been made exactly like this. Why? Mm -hmm. Because this is how the Democrats wish to nullify the will of the American people. This is how they wish to negate the presidential election. And there's a philosophical reason for what's happening today. And it's very easy to understand. The Democrat Party made a Faustian pact with the devil about 30 years ago. And they decided that the ends justify the means. If we need to hold our majority in the Supreme Court, if we need to maintain power on Capitol Hill by any means no necessary we cannot use and that's right, I gotta take a break uh, 800-941-SEAN thank you Dr. Gorka thank you Sarah Carter and Greg Jarrett as we continue hang on I'm sending this to a friend uh, just saying you were right 
I don't say that very often. Uh, 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SHAWN. The committee members now coming back into the room. Judge Kavanaugh's coming back in the room. Um, we're going to be dipping in and out of it. I um, There's a lot to say. There's a lot to say about what today means. There's a lot to say about the modern Democratic Party. By the way, Lindsey Graham is going to be on Hannity tonight on the Fox News channel. And we're here in the nation's capital. We're in the swamp and the sewer and the stench. You really can smell it everywhere. There has been beyond a slow erosion of civility. And there's so much now that we just accept as standard fare. And part of it is slander. And part of it is rushing to judgment, no due process. Imagine this, the Republicans got it right for once. They've been fair. They have been thoughtful. They have handled it correctly. We'll have more on the other side of this break and your calls coming up. All right, 25 till the top of the hour from Washington, D.C. It's the Sean Hannity Show. Um, what an unbelievable day. This These hearings still continue. Orrin Hatch now is talking about the fundamental fairness. He actually said this is worse. I never thought it can get worse than what they did to Robert Bork, and it's gotten worse. And I think Lindsey Graham just stole the moment on top of Dr. For, uh, doc, I'm sorry, Judge Kavanaugh himself. His opening statement was so powerful. But Lindsey Graham pointing, this has all been a strategy of the Democrats. She had this. They first knew in early July about these allegations by Professor Ford. And Diane Feinstein had this information, you know, Lindsey Graham asked, asked Judge Kavanaugh, did you know that when you met with Diane Feinstein that she had already referred Professor Ford to an attorney who she met privately with? By the way, the attorney is the one that didn't believe Paula Jones. The attorney is the one that stuck up for Al Franken. And Feinstein goes into this meeting, big smile on her face. They knew. Let me know if this gets out of control with uh, Senator Coons here. They knew that this was this was in their back pocket and they were going to hold it. And as Lindsey Graham said, this is their hope. The reason they keep focusing on an FBI investigation and we'll play Joe Biden again. And Joe Biden said the reason why you can't rely on an FBI report, uh, you wouldn't like it if we did because it's inconclusive. So when people wave an FBI report before you understand they do not reach conclusions. The FBI has said on this specific matter, it's not an FBI matter. It's not a criminal matter. And on top of all of it, so everybody knows this, they want the delay. What they want is the election to happen. They want to roll the dice and hope and pray that these tactics end up with no Supreme Court appointment so that they can get it and they can take it. And that's what it's that, that's why they never released the information. That's why she sat in in 32 hours worth of hearings. All the Democrats knew and they didn't bring it up. That's why they finally forced the issue at this late hour. And I think if we were ever to get to the bottom of it, you know, maybe these other allegations, there's a whole fishing expedition going on behind the scene that none of us knew about. And I'm, you know, <laughs> If, you know, I said to my, um, I want to go back to what I said to Gomez the other day. 
yesterday. He's my best friend from third grade. And I said, you know, John, every day in election year in 2016, I, I pointed out something that I knew the rest of the media wouldn't point out. And I said, that was Obama's record. Because if you say it once, it just goes in one ear out the other. We don't, people listen to radio, you're in your car, you're driving home, you get home. My hope is you never leave your car till the show is over. That's my hope. But sometimes the kids are screaming, the dog comes running out, you gotta leave my show. I hate it. It's not good for me. But the point is there's a reason. And the reason is it was so bad, I wanted every single person that, that listened to the show to know how bad it was. And so I would repeat it. And similarly, there's a reason that I point out before every election even begins. Now, we're only 40 days away from this, what I call the most important midterm election in our life. And the reason I've been telling you it's important because we know what their agenda is. They want to impeach the president. They want to eliminate ICE. They want open borders. They didn't like when you got a tax cut. They liked it better. I told you the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah, people pay more in taxes than they do for food and clothing combined for three years, the last three years of Obama's presidency. So they want their crumbs back. They say the tax cuts are crumbs, meaning, you know, $1,000, $2,000 to the average American family. I don't think it's crumbs. And as somebody that started my adult life with $200 in Old Stone Bank in Rhode Island, I didn't have any money. Those crumbs matter, especially to people that, you know, all do all the working and bleeding and dying and, and contributing in this country. Not these people that, you know, on their high horse in Washington that live the lives of luxury with their own separate health care plans, not the ones they burden us with. You know, if they have issues involving their staff, well, they'll just settle it with taxpayer money, but not tell you. Or there are many barber shops and there are many workout rooms and gyms that they build for themselves and their Senate dining rooms, etc. And I'm just telling you that there is something insidious when I point out every two and four years that it is like clockwork. Elect Republicans, black churches are going to burn. Crosses will burn. That was a 1998 Missouri radio ad or the James Byrd ad that said it's like my father was killed all over again talking about George W. Bush not supporting hate crimes when he supported the death penalty, the death penalty for the guy that was the people responsible for the for the evil death dragging death of James Byrd. Or Al Gore changing his entire tone, delivery, and cadence when he goes before predominantly African-American audiences. Republicans have the wrong agenda and goes into this whole thing that he does. And then telling a predominantly black audience, they don't even want to count you in the census. That is playing the race card. And I can go through numerous other examples now, what does this have to do with the case of Judge Kavanaugh? All right, like elections, you're racist, sexist. Poor Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney made the mistake of having women's resumes in binders because he was thinking of hiring them. 
and somehow that was viewed as misogynistic and and sexist. Everybody, you know, John McCain, who recently passed away, everybody said the nicest things about John McCain. But when he was running for office, there were a lot of people trying to call him a racist and everything and much more on top of that. You know, here I didn't get along a lot with John McCain and issues, but I fought for him to be president. All these people were smearing. There's something, if your strategy is going to be smear and slander and and character assassination and bludgeoning opponents because you disagree with them, whether it be elections or Supreme Court nominees, or maybe you bludgeon the whole country with a bunch of propaganda and lies about Russia. You know, there's a problem with that, too. Or maybe it's Harry Reid who says Mitt Romney hasn't paid taxes in 10 years and it goes viral. And then after the election, once Obama wins, he's asked about, what do I care? We won. Is that it? it ends justifies the means. There's a there's a there's something that has happened to the modern Democratic Party. There are there's no such thing anymore as a moderate Democrat. They want to stop. They don't even they can't take that they lost this election. And they want to reverse it, which is why the dossier was used and disseminated. Imagine this. Our own government at the time, our top intel agencies, CIA directors, you got, you know, top agencies leaking an unverified, phony, political, Clinton bought and paid for Russian dossier put together by a foreign national that doesn't even believe his own dossier when pushed under oath in an interrogatory. But if it's a good lie, if it works, if the ends justify the means and we get the vote, we get the votes. And then after the election, let's bludgeon Trump with it also. Nine months in, they had nothing about Trump-Russia collusion. So we'll leak the contents of the dossier. Before an election, it's hookers in Moscow and the Ritz-Carlton urinating on Donald Trump's bed. Golden showers, as they say. Unverified, uncorroborated, and totally debunked. But let's let the American people think that before they go out and vote. And then after the election, let's use the same dossier and we'll start an investigation and we'll leave it so open ended that we can start investigating loan applications of people that were in Trump's vicinity for 100 days. It is or let's let's bork Judge Kavanaugh or let's 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 do what we did to Clarence Thomas. And if the first allegation doesn't work, then we'll try another one. And then we'll take Avenatti's. uh, No no presumption of innocence anymore in America. You cannot reward these people for this. There's not going to ever be people in America that want to serve anymore. Who would want to go through this with young daughters? You know, in many ways, I made a decision just by getting behind a radio microphone and giving an opinion. I've opened myself up to this. 
And I know a lot of people, they, but there are people in government that do want to serve. This guy who kept a 1982 calendar of his life and was number one in his high school class and a top athlete who has just about everybody that's ever touched, he's touched in his life saying how great he is, wanting to be number one, working hard to get to Yale. I mean, I, I, I wasn't as good as this guy when I was younger. I can tell you that right now. Want to go back to my high school years? <laughs> I'll give you a little laundry list. I have nothing to hide. You know, but I'm just telling you, it is, it's somebody that's, that strived to be great and good and found a passion, and his passion was the law. His passion was the Constitution. And the very thing that he loves and is sworn to uphold we don't even give this guy the benefit of the doubt. And I will tell you, we do this again and again and again and again and again. And it's all politics. In all the years when, when Obama was president, I was so angry that he'd, he, would, he would discuss these high-profile race cases in America like the Cambridge police acted stupidly. That's rushing to judgment. He knew nothing. Trayvon could be like my son. He knew nothing, no due process, rushed to judgment. How many in Ferguson, he was blown away. He was walking away from Officer Darren Wilson. But there was testimony that nobody had heard yet from the neighbors that said, no, no, it's exactly like the police officer said. Or the fact, or Freddie Gray was beaten and murdered by cops in Baltimore. And so many people rushed to judgment, fed by the media. And the media is just as complicit as the Democrats in these smears. In every case. Or Duke Lacrosse. I, I mean, it's what happened in the professors taking out ads in newspapers. No due process, no presumption of innocence, guilt by accusation. There are a bunch of uh, snobby rich kids. Uh, they play lacrosse, a uh, bunch, of, bunch of athletes. If we don't get this right, we are going to be worse off as a country because of it. The media can't be rewarded for their failure again and again and again and again and again. And they're wrong so often. And the same with the Democratic Party. This is their playbook. This is now who they are. This defines them in elections two and four years. This defines them in Supreme Court nominations. And the only thing, reason maybe, that Judge Kavanaugh will get Senate confirmation is because of his passionate, believable testimony that he gave today. There was nobody else that could, everyone else had spoken for him. And he then, and I'm watching Senator Blumenthal now. He already made up his mind day one, as Schumer made up his mind day one, 
as most Democrats made up their mind day one. And it didn't matter who they picked, who the president picked to fill the vacancy of Anthony Kennedy. We've got Senator Graham on Hannity tonight. All right, we're going to wrap things up. Um, We're going to lay all of this out with all of the day's events, news and information you won't get anywhere. Lindsey Graham among our guests. Juanita Broderick also tonight. Sarah Carter, uh, Greg Jarrett. We got everybody. I hope you'll join us 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. You may want to call your senator. We'll give out those numbers tomorrow. Thank you for being with us. See you tonight at 9. Back in New York tomorrow from D.C. tonight. Who does Sean Hannity choose when diversifying his savings with gold and silver? None other than the top-rated precious metals company, Gold Co. Gold Co. is a seven-time Inc. 5000 winner with thousands of five-star reviews, and they've helped tens of thousands of Americans place over $2 billion in gold and silver. They're Sean Hannity's top choice. And right now, they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver while supplies last. Go to HannityGold.com to learn more. That's HannityGold.com. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation's mission is to do good and make sure we never forget. That means never forgetting 9-11, never forgetting the soldiers, the first responders that all risked their lives and bodies for our country and our communities, and never forgetting those who were sickened because of their service. Now, the foundation is committed to helping those heroes, their families, and that means heroes like retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Michael Cardoz. Now, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Cardoz served his country for 20 years He received numerous commendations, including a Bronze Star, and during his time overseas, he was exposed to toxic burn pits. Now, 18 hours after being diagnosed with service-related cancer, sadly, he passed away. Tunnel to Towers then paid off the mortgage on the family home, enabling his widow and his six children to stay in that home, and that removed a huge financial burden. Donate 11 bucks a month. Just go to their website, the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. The letter T, the number two, the letter T.org for the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. You know, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Now, qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and, of course, mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean and claim your eligibility for free your brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Again, it's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, and switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk.